Why don't you go ahead and be seated? And as, uh, as you are, we're going to let the middle school kids take off with Mr. Eric out this way, okay? There they go. Give it up for them. They look so eager. Man, oh man. We can hold down the enthusiasm a little bit there, guys. Ah, thank you, Aaliyah. Thank you. Nice. You win the prize. <laughs> well, it's right on our money, isn't it? It's right there. It's right on our money. In God we trust. It's right on our money. Probably figured out what today is. If you've uh, been around here any length of time, you know that one Sunday a year I teach on the subject of giving. Just one Sunday a year. And so if you're a first-time guest here today, I, I, I'm really not apologizing for that, just kind of qualifying that it just happens once a year around here. Sometimes I even forget. I've skipped years altogether. And, uh, and you know, if you're a first-time guest here today and... Your long-time objection to not coming to church, you know, your friends inviting you, no, come to the vineyard, you'll like it. And your long-time objection has always been, oh, all the church ever talks about is money. Well, today, with one data point, you will be 100% correct. So just practice your, I told you. You know, I only teach on the subject once a year, and I'd make no apology for teaching it because... It's all part of our discipleship, how we, how we respond with, uh, with giving. It's all part of our walk with God. So I don't really apologize for it at all. And I, I only teach on it once a year in part because the overwhelming majority of you are so faithful. You're so good with it. And so what it does is it gives me an, an annual opportunity to, at the very least, say thank you. And you know I mean that. Thank you for being faithful with tithes and offerings here. Thank you. Uh, you just can't believe how much easier that makes my whole job, right? As a pa- I know pastors who just, just fuss with this all the time, and I don't even think about it. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of a church that doesn't just take care of business here, but extends to other places. And thank you. You know, right because you give right now, right this moment, there are children who are not living on the streets in Brazil, Nicaragua, Honduras, and India because of you guys. When, you know, when you give, that's just what happens next after you give. I just want you to think about that. So thank you. Thank you for being so generous. We've lost count of how many freshwater wells we've drilled in India. We've lost count. I've been to a number of these villages where these people are so poor and their babies are dying of these basic waterborne diseases. And by your generosity, we go into these villages and drill a deep well and put a hand pump on it. And they come, they come, the... The, come, the women come with the buckets on their heads and they carry. This is happening now. Right now it's happening. So thank you. Thank you for the lepers who live in this colony in Bargur, India, who have, who have blankets, who have food, who have 
who have the kindness of Jesus expressed to them when we go there. We didn't have to ask you for that. You just did it. Thank you. Thank you for the people around this very remote part of Sargur, India. Sargur is right beyond the nowhere line. And, and we have a medical and dental clinic there now. Can you imagine what, what it would be like to live in such abject poverty that if your teeth and you have nowhere to go? Thank you. Thank you on behalf of people who are alive today, alive today, because of your giving, we have created opportunities for abortion alternatives. Thank you that you resourced women who were desperate and, and we were a part of helping them have the resources to say, okay, I can carry this child to term. I do have an alternative to abortion. Thank you. There are, I mean, people, and we've been doing this so long, maybe some of you are here. I don't know, you're young adults now. I mean, could you just let that sort of roll around in, in your head a little bit? I just want to say thank you, and thank you for the opportunities that you give us in all of this to proclaim the good news of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, because that's really, at the end of the day, what it's about. So this annual thing that I do, teaching that I bring, is an opportunity to say thank you. And to say thank you for being faithful so that this hardly ever comes into our Sunday conversation. I mean, you've never heard us say at an offering, and by the way, we need you to really dig deep. You've never heard us say that, ever. And some of you have been in those services of somewhere, haven't you, when it's like, oh, here's what we're going to hear about. And it's hard, and it takes away from the joy of it. And so thank you. For making it a place where we don't have to worry about that. Thank you for being so faithful that this very week, we finally, after 20 years, we have to remodel our restrooms. You notice we've been staging for that, right? You, when you walk in each week and go, this is getting worse. I don't know what's happening in here. Well, this is the week that between this afternoon and next Sunday morning, all the contractors are lined up to come in and flip those restrooms from floor to ceiling, and uh, all in one week, and it's all going to be able to happen without us having to come to you and say, oh, we need some money for the restrooms. Why? Because you're faithful with tithes and offerings. I love that. You were faithful you were faithful to pay the mortgage off of this church? Hallelujah. Ooh, ooh, right? You're a debt-free congregation. And you continue to be faithful. Thank you. So I hope you hear the sincerity of my heart when I tell you that I'm really thankful. This morning, teaching on the subject of giving, I want to use as my basis... 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. I'm going to be looking at the first 12 verses, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the context of this is Paul is talking to the, the Corinthians, the believers who lived in Corinth. Now, they lived 
in a, in a more prosperous region than another group of churches uh, called the Macedonian churches. And so the Corinthian churches were uh, comparatively more prosperous and more affluent than the Macedonian churches, which would have like included the Philippians and, and those kind of churches. So that's the context, and, and he's inviting them to consider uh, continuing to be a part of giving so that they can continue to do the work of ministry. And he says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's saying, you know, that even though they're, they're, they live in poverty, he says, I want you to know that they're rich in grace. Something has happened. And he said, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He said, here these people are living in this poverty, but they couldn't control themselves. They were so joyful that, that they were so generous. He says, verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And I love this next one. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. It's like, you know, Paul's probably trying to give them a pass. He's like, you guys are so poor, it's okay. And they're like, no, we, urgent, we want to do this too. We want to give. We want to be a part of this. Don't deprive us of this blessing. Verse 5, and they, did, and they did not do as we expected. But catch this, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. In other words, they went to the Lord first. These poor Macedonian believers, they went to the Lord first. And when they went to him, they were just so overwhelmed with his generosity toward them that they came away with the desire to be generous, which is really key to the whole thing. Verse 6, so we urge Titus, since, uh, so we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he's saying, you know, Titus is there with you guys to, to finish this, so that you guys can get, become a part of this as well. And so he says in verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so he's including giving as part of our expression of grace, which would include our, our love for others, our kindness, our compassion. And he's, he's saying that giving is, is part of being a disciple. Generosity is part of being a disciple of Jesus because of the grace of God. And so then in verse 8, he says what, I, I love this verse 8 so much, and you guys have been around here long enough to know this is also my heart. He says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not, I'm not commanding you to give. Oh, I hate that. I'm not commanding. I don't command you. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In other words, he's saying, I'm not saying you got to do this. I'm saying you should want to do this. Because look what happened to the Philippians. When out of their poverty, they went to the Lord, were overwhelmed with his generosity, and became so sacrificially generous, it just got better and better for them. And he says, I want that for you too. I love this. This is so fun. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
so that through his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. You know, the Lord who set aside, Philippians 2 says, his very right to be God. He set aside, he took off all of his God so that he could come and live among us to do the work for us that we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And he said, that, that's, that's a big thing. And he says, Is this, we ponder that when we're embraced by what Jesus did for us, it automatically releases a spirit of gratitude and generosity. Verse 10, and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. He's so interested in this. It's not about the doing of it, but having the desire to do it. It starts with the desire that when we're connected to God, when we're, when we're encountering God, things change, don't they? The desires change. Amen? Are you here? Yes, say yes. Come on. When Jesus Christ gets inside of your life, your whole desires change, correct? And he's saying this is a desire that changes. This desire to be, to be generous. And he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Catch this. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And so he's saying, he's teaching the Corinthians that in this matter of giving, there's a very proportional system that he who has much should be giving much. He who has little, it's perfectly okay to give little. He says, don't compare the amount. He says, this car starts with the heart. He's talking about a proportional way of looking at giving. And what he's really talking about here is this matter of a thing called tithing. And tithing is the millennium, millennia old practice of people bringing 10%, the first 10% of their gain to the Lord. It's, it's tithe is an Old Testament word that means tenth, and so it's one-tenth. And I want to I just talk with you about that, and I want to start by sharing the history, or a brief history, of tithing. And first of all, it was instituted by Abraham, Roughly 4,000 years ago. Now, Abraham, this really cool happens. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. You're going to want to see this. So this really cool thing is happening in Genesis chapter 14. There's war in the land. And there's a group of allied kings that are fighting with another group of allied kings. Caterleomer was one of them. And so there's war in the land in the Mideast, who would guess, right? And it's going on, right? And they're fighting, they're fighting. It's dangerous. And then Abram, who that's his name before he became Abraham, okay? So when you're reading through there, and how, he's called Abram, which means exalted father, but then when the Lord comes and promises that he would have Isaac, then he's, his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations, okay? So, but at this point, he's still Abram, and, uh, and he's out there, and he's with his nephew Lot, right? And, and so in all of this battle that's going on, his nephew Lot becomes captured, all of his people and all of his stuff is taken into captivity with these thousands and thousands of soldiers that are fighting each other. Abram turns to God and says, this ain't right. He said, I want to go get Lot and his stuff. And so the Lord, remember thousands and thousands, if you read that passage, the Lord 
caused Abram to raise up 318 fighting men. Right? What's that going to do? What's that going to do? Well, it's kind of like taking Goliath down with a pebble is what it's kind of like, which is exactly what happened. So these 318 fighting men went and routed all of these other guys, and they, they, they brought Lot back and his stuff. So this is what's happened. Well, right after this happened, this priest named Melchizedek shows up, and that's where we pick up the story. Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, Salem was the first name for the city of Jerusalem. Salem or Shalom means peace. So the, the Yerushalom is the city of peace. And so that's where this guy's coming from. So this guy shows up from Jerusalem, and he brought out bread and wine. What? What? Bread and wine? Jesus is all over your Bible, you guys. <laughs> Just so you know. And he brought out bread and wine. And he was priest of God Most High. Well, this is before Moses and Aaron and the priesthood. and This is before any of that. And yet, somehow, God has a priest from Salem. <laughs> Ooh, glory. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then here's the big one. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything he had. So Abram's response to this great victory that God had, had brought to them and to his being in the company of this priest Melchizedek, then um, his response is one of profound gratitude, and so he just gives him a tenth. He moves the decimal point over one place, and he says, I offer this all to you. So it started with Abram. It's so important to get this, that tithing started foundationally as an expression of gratitude to God. It's not a tax check. It's not the church tax. It's an opportunity to express profound gratitude to God. Next, it was codified into law by Moses roughly 3,000 years ago. And um, if you look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, you'll see in the law of Moses, that Moses is saying, well, this isn't, you know, this tithing thing isn't, isn't just good when you feel like it, you know, when you have an occasion to do it. He said, this should be part of our lives as part of our, our routine, if you will, or regular way of offering thanksgiving to God. And so it says right there that the first tenth of everything that you make belongs to the Lord. And Moses wrote that into law. And then if we keep going on, we see that this was lavishly affirmed by Jesus 2,000 years ago. That when Jesus came onto the scene, you know, you might wonder, so is tithing still a thing? Well, in this throwdown with the Pharisees, Jesus said to them, he said, uh, you know, you guys tithe to the last mint leaf. You're so good at being so careful to move that decimal point over one place. But he said, in doing that, you've missed the point. He says, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. And then he says, you should do them both. You should do them both. The tithing now becomes an opportunity for followers of Jesus 
to move the decimal point one place in the knowledge that we are expressing the grace and mercy of God here and around the world. We're bringing justice to people around the world because of your tithing. I hope you just take some real encouragement in all of that. And then we'll also see that tithing is something that's been faithfully practiced by obedient believers ever since, through, through centuries now. And it started in Acts chapter 2, right? When uh, those guys, that first century church, Jesus died, rose again, ascended to the Father, Holy Spirit's poured out. And they said, tithe, tithe, smithe. It says, we, we, it says selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who has, had need. They were just off the hook with generosity because they were so, I'm sure, touched many of them Gentile believers that didn't know God from anything, and now we're invited into the company of God through the blood of Jesus. They were just so overwhelmed with the reality of that. So this is, this is a brief history from the Bible and history of tithing. Now let's talk about what tithing is today then in our, in our particular culture. Well, first of all, tithing is one of our ways of living under the covenant of grace. I love that verse 7 in the passage that I wrote, wrote for you, or read for you, that Paul says, you know, I pray that you'll excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving. So the giving isn't a law, it's a grace. And being a generous person, being a, a person who's faithfully moving the decimal point, is is part of how we live under the covenant of God's grace. Because we live under the covenant of God's grace now. Yes, not under the law, but under his grace. It's by grace you have been saved, the Bible says. Not by works, lest any man should boast. But so we live in this covenant of grace. And people mix up tithing when they think that that's a thing of the law. Tithing is a thing of the grace. And here's how it rolls. That at the center of the covenant of grace is God the Father's lavish generosity toward us. Amen? I mean, he's just completely generous toward us. That we've got sin in our lives that has to be covered. We have consistently demonstrated that we cannot walk this walk perfectly and that we need to continue to rely on the generosity of God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Am I right or wrong? So at the core of our relationship with God, is, is the generosity of God. That's grace. That's what the covenant of grace is. Undeserved favor. And he goes, here, Adam Gray. Yeah, you've had a week just about as bad as Tom Paquette this week, but I give you grace. And it's, it's just generous. So living then as members of the covenant of grace, we become generous people. And generous, put money aside for a second. Generous with everything. I was talking to my DT200 class a week or so ago, and we were on that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You see, we're not just recipients of the grace, but as we receive that grace, we then become givers of grace toward others. And so we're generous with forgiveness. We're, is that making sense? That it's because of the grace of God in us, living under the terms of the covenant of grace, that we become people filled with grace and filled with compassion. We're, we're generous with compassion. We're generous with kindness. I'm, don't you want to be just generous in worship to God? 
Here he's been so generous to us. Let's just be generous in worship. And so this becomes, come on, this becomes the heart of the believer. I just want to be generous. And, and, and here's really where it, where it begins. Because grace then and generosity becomes the currency of grace. That's your new money. You ever have to go somewhere else and have to change your money? Well, our money says in God we trust. Hmm. Okay. God has different money for you. As you dwell in his grace, he's going to give you a pocket full of generosity. Generosity is the currency of God's grace. Generosity is also one of our ways of responding to what Christ has done for us. You know, in that passage, the Bible says that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. What are you going to do with that? Well, the generosity, in fact, the tithing, for me, is definitely a response to what Christ has done for me. You know, there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, is there? There is nothing. He did all the work. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, but there is a lot that we can do to respond to it. You got that? So when we worship God, we're not earning our salvation, we're responding to our salvation. When we offer forgiveness to another, another brother or sister who has sinned against us, we do that not so that we'll have salvation, but as a response to this amazing forgiveness that God has given us. And Paul's making the case here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that even the matter of generosity and financial giving is an expression, is a response to the grace of God. And what he's done for us. Do you have that? This is a personal question. It's rhetorical. Don't answer out loud, please. Do I have that gratitude? Do I? How grateful am I? How much, how much have I been overcome and captured by what God has done for me through his son, Jesus. Has that made me a great, grateful person? You know, I, I just really want to say this in all kindness. But if a person has not gained that grateful perspective, I, I would encourage you to examine the authenticity of your faith. How can we say, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me, suffered and died, bled and died once for all, and not come away from that going, thank you, God. Tithing is also our way of saying that we trust God that 90% is enough. So the essence of tithing is this. We work, God blesses, right? He gives us 100, and he says, I want the first 10 back, right? And so now we have a decision to make. And our decision is, am I going to trust God who says that, that 90% is enough? And some of you are going, dude, 100% is enough. We go backwards every year. I'm deeper in debt this year than I've ever been. Well, you got nothing to lose then, do you? Right? Are you going to trust God enough to say that 90% is enough? 
what he's saying it is. And that truly becomes the heart, in so many ways, of this issue. We are, we, in America, we are by far the most affluent people on the face of this earth. We, have, we are 6% of the world's population, and we have 25% of the world's stuff. You don't have to travel much to see that that's true, right? We are the most affluent people on the face of this planet, and I, I think that the real objection to tithing is based here in America on a couple things. First of all, I think it's based on the, on the false notion that we think we've earned this stuff. I go to work. I work hard. I went to school. Where were you when I was paying my tuition? I've climbed the ladder. You know, and you have. All of that is true. It's true for me too. But the book of Deuteronomy say, do not say by my own hands, I have earned this. But it's because that God has blessed the work of your hands that you have this. You are hard workers. I don't doubt that. But God blesses your work. And so the hundred comes from him. And he says, I want ten back. And I think the second reason tithing is so difficult for American believers is because we think we're still in control. We're in control. We, we're really big on this. We have... Uh, a, a culture in which independence is one of our core values. And so we think, oh, I've, I've made this stuff. Listen, Pastor Tom. I made this stuff. I'll decide how much y'all are going to get. May I just say this? I've read the Bible from Genesis to Maps. And I've seen over and over again that there is no version of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ where you are still in control of anything. It's, he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will find it. So the words of Jesus. So some of you are saying, well, so what do I do? Where do I, where do I really begin all of this? Some of you are saying, I, I'm hearing you, and I want to I I go. What do I do next? Well, you do what we always say. You start with prayer, right? Nobody's surprised that that's number one. Just start praying. Just say, God, I want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know why my pride is so that i got to be in control of this. I don't know what my objections are, but I want to do this. I want to be faithful to you in this matter. Just tell him you want to and you need his help. And ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you for excusing yourself from such a clear teaching of the Bible. Ask God to forgive you for rationalizing why it's okay for you to be just disobedient in this matter. You know, we, we just, I just see people doing it all the time. Well, I'll tithe when I'm older or when the kids are grown or whatever. <laughs> Don't you want God's blessing when the kids are home? <laughs> Man. You know, rationally. I, I meet people who who use this time-tithing concept with me. And I'm like, are you serious? And they, say, they see themselves as people who are 
so devoted to some aspect of the church that they're putting in more time than the average church member. And so they say, I'm kind of released from the money part because I'm time tithing. I'm giving God 10% of my time. Well, according to the teaching that Pastor Christian brought last week, if you're giving God 10% of your time, you're 90% wrong. You're 90% short. Because he preached from that passage that says, making the most of every opportunity. All of our time belongs to God. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're driving 270, hello? You're still in God's time. So you may just want to ask for forgiveness for, for some rationalizing or for insisting on being in control. Saying, well, I, I'm, it's mine to do with what I want. Not if you're surrendered to Christ, it really isn't. Second, you need to actively reject something. You need to actively reject the dream of affluence as the guiding priority of your life. You see, we live in this culture where it says your main goal for being here is to get money, right? Affluence. Your, your hope for the future, your security, is building up a big pile of stuff, right? That's pretty much how it rolls. And so we're, we're sucked into this deception that affluence is, is the main goal of our life. And as Christians, we have to actively reject that. There are more important things in our lives than money. You know, Karen and I, we've, we've been called to serve jury duty once, each of us, so twice total between us. And we're kind of disappointed. We kind of like to. I think we'd be good at it, actually. We'd be fair, you know, we'd be prayerful. And, uh, but only once have each of us ever been called for jury duty. And both times we were rejected from the jury because of what I do for a living. The first time I was called downtown to be a part of a grand jury. What other kind of jury do you think I'd be part of, bro? I ain't going to be no regular jury. I'm going to be a grand jury. I'm going to do anything. I'll get a grand jury going. I'll come down. It was about some insurance thing or another, and we were supposed to decide this or that. And the lawyers are talking, and they were going around to this pool and asking, first of all, what do you do for a living? They asked me. I said, I'm a pastor. Juror number 23 is excused. <laughs> That's messed up, right? A couple years later, Karen gets called down for jury duty. She's all excited. And uh, she goes down there. And it was about some, the lawyers explained, it was going to be about some case where a woman's credit rating was destroyed by a breach of contract, and so she was suing. So they're talking, the lawyers are talking, explaining this. And one of the lawyers, talking to the jury pool, says, I'm sure that you will all agree that a person's credit rating is the most important part of their life. <laughs> Karen raises her hand. And she's, you know, kind of with all due respect, I, I see where you're going with this, but I just need to say that I don't think that's true and that there are a lot more important things in your life than your credit rating. Here's what the lawyer said. That's what I would expect from you since you are married to a pastor. Juror number 17 is excused. That's tragic, isn't it? We would have been so good. <laughs> yeah. 
you got to reject it. you got to say that's not what's most important, whether you're in a high cotton or a low cotton. You're good if you're in God. We've lived in high times and we've lived in low times. We've always moved the decimal point one place. Some of you know our story. Some of you know. But we started out way before people should start out. Went to college full-time, worked jobs, any job we could get. I don't think I ever told you what it's like to be on food stamps. You got kids and you're trying to get all this done and you can't. I don't know how it is now. You used to have to go down to the courthouse and make your case. And you know how it used to be back then? They'd give you these tickets you had to rip out of a book and pay. It wasn't like today where you slide the card and everybody just thinks you're using your debit card. You pretty much announcing to everybody at the grocery store you're on food stamps. And that was hard. But you know what we did then? We moved the decimal point over one place. So the next thing you do is you just got to begin. You just got to do it. Maybe you're not, maybe your faith isn't where you can move it over one place. Maybe, maybe you could just start with a percentage. Don't start with an amount. Start with 1%, 2%, whatever, and stick with it and pray, God, show me how to get to 3%. And just keep going. Just don't look back. But begin now. Just want you to know that tithing is simply a sacrificial and consistent way of saying thank you to God. It's responding. It's responding to what He's done for us. And it flows from a truly grateful heart. This is the key to the whole thing. It flows from an understanding that God is your provider, Jehovah Jireh. God's your provider, He's signing your paycheck. And it flows from a profound appreciation of what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Karen and I are so grateful for what God has done for us. We should not be the people we are if not for God. And so we tithe as part of our expression of gratitude to God. That's why we tithe. We tithe because we're so grateful for the things that God has done. Beloved, the teaching about tithing in the Bible is crystal clear. You are free to do whatever you want with your money. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We pray, Father God, your blessing, your anointing, your... Your, your favor on this time of being together. Come Holy Spirit now and hear, hear our response to your word and the move of your spirit now. Church, shall we stand together, please? Take out your hand and tell them your name.